Well, hello again, everyone. Um, be great for those of you who have Bibles, have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 5, and uh, let's pray to God as we uh, come to his word. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for today. Thanks that we can meet together, and uh, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, and we pray, Father, that uh, this evening, as we uh, come under your word, uh, that you would open our eyes and our hearts by your Holy Spirit, so we would appreciate even more what your son Jesus has done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start by asking you this. Have you ever got something horribly wrong? Have you ever got something horribly wrong and ended up embarrassing yourself? Let me tell you a story uh, about something that happened to me uh, many years ago before I was married to my wife, Pearl. So we're going out. I'm at her place. And, you know, heading home late at night, I thought I'd go to the bathroom before I got in the car and drove home. And, and when I got to the bathroom, the door was closed. Now, what would you do? Bathroom, closed door. I saw somebody saying they would knock. Um, uh, what would you do if the door was closed? You notice there's no light on in that room, right? Well, who'd be in a bathroom, lights off, closed door? You know, you'd probably knock, but what were the chances? So I did what was logical and I opened the door and you know the phrase, the lights are on but there's no one at home? The lights were off and there was someone at home and um, I opened the door and turned on the light and there was Pearl's grandmother sitting on the throne. Um, and, you know, I looked at her, she looked at me, and it was one of those moments when time slows down, and then she smiled. I almost died. And I was in such a great panic, I flicked off the light and shut the door. So, that's not the worst part of the story. A few months later, Pearl's house again. We didn't know it, going home, same situation, creature of habit. So I go to the bathroom, the door is closed, the lights aren't on, what were the odds of the same thing happening again? <laughs> Different day, same result. Uh, sometimes uh, we get things horribly wrong. And now, why, why do I share this with you? Well, here's the question. Does God get things wrong? Does God get things wrong? And does God get things wrong when it comes to what it says in our passage? And in particular, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Because look at what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And why do I ask, did God get it wrong? Well, there's at least two problems I see with what is being said here. Firstly, it says that God loves sinners. And secondly, it says that he sends Jesus to die for them. And you might be wondering, well, why is that a problem? What's wrong with that? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at uh, from the Bible this evening. And what I hope we'll discover as we look at the Bible is that if God's got it wrong, he's got it wrong for us. Which is why trusting in Jesus is such a good thing. If God's got it wrong... He's got it wrong for us, which is why trusting in Jesus is such a good thing. Well, let's, let's, let's have a look at the first problem, okay? The first problem that this passage raises, which is, how can God love us while we were still sinners? You might be thinking, Gary, you're a bishop. I already know the answer. I don't know why you're even asking that question, because it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, doesn't God hate the sin but love the sinner? You've heard that phrase before, right? God hates the sin but loves the sinner? Right, we've all heard that. Now, does it work? Does it even make sense? 
Uh, let me give you some examples and uh, to see what you think. Okay, here, example number one. God hates the lie, but loves the liar. I reckon we could live with that. Sounds all right, doesn't it? All right, let me give you another one. God hates the greed, but loves the greedy. God hates the drunkenness, but loves the drunk. I think most of us would still be okay with that, wouldn't we? Let's push it a bit further, though. God hates the murder, but loves the murderer. God hates the bullying, but loves the bully. God hates the war crime, but loves the war criminal. When you push it further, you start to have problems. And you have problems because in the end you really can't separate the sin from the sinner. Sinful actions and sinful people go hand in hand. And that's because of what sin is. Well, what is sin? So as you heard before, I didn't grow up as a Christian, didn't grow up in a church. And I used to think that sin was just things that people who were worse than me did, right? Sin was doing something that was particularly immoral or criminal or questionable. That was sin and that meant I wasn't a sinner. But actually, when you read the Bible, uh, sin's not actually like that. And in fact, what sin is, is all about our attitude towards God. Sin is all about putting ourselves first, before God, saying yes to ourselves and no to God, putting what we think and we want before what God thinks and God wants. And by that standard, that makes all of us sinners. Because we've all done that in some way in each of our lives. I mean, we've all been loose with the truth at some time, haven't we? We've all been selfish at some time. Uh, we've all made decisions and lived as if God wasn't there at some time. And that's sin. Saying yes to ourselves and no to God. And it's this, uh, this sinful attitude that leads to sinful action. It's this sin in our hearts that leads to the things we think of as sin. And it's a bit like the relationship between a disease and a Symptom. I used to be a doctor. Disease and symptoms. A bit like what happens when you catch a cold. So, when you catch a cold, why do you catch a cold? It's because you get a viral infection. The viral infection, that's the disease. It's the underlying cause. But how do you know you've caught the disease? From the symptoms, right? Temperature, runny nose, cough, things like that. It's the symptoms that flow out of the underlying disease. And it's like that with sinful actions. And sin. Uh, sin works the same way. A sinful attitude toward God where we say yes to ourselves and no to God, that's the underlying disease which leads to the symptoms, the sinful actions, things like lying and greed and the other things that I mentioned. And this is why in the end you can't really separate the sin from the sinner. Sin comes from sinners like symptoms from a disease. And that is why at first glance it seems wrong that the God of the Bible would go out of his way to love sinners. Because how can he do that given what sin is? Given that sin is us saying to God, we know better and we'd be better off without you, you just get in our way. So that seems wrong, doesn't it? Does God get it wrong? But that's not all. That leads us to the second thing that God seems to get wrong here in the Bible. That God not only loves sinners, but sends Jesus to die for them. 
And this reminds me of a story that I uh, read um, in a newspaper, remember those, uh, a number of years ago, uh, where there was a plane crash in America where six people died. But miraculously, one lady, a lady from Melbourne, survived the plane crash. And she survived the plane crash because the, of the actions of her skydiving instructor. Because what happened was when the instructor saw that the plane was in trouble, he clipped his harness to the ladies, pulled her close, supported her head with his own, and then he said to the lady, um, as the plane is about to hit the ground, make sure you're on top of me. So I'll take the force of the impact. And the lady who survived, in, in, in an interview later, she said she can still remember when the plane hit a power pole and started spinning out of control, a skydiving instructor moving his body in such a way to make sure that when the plane hit the ground, he was between the ground and her. So the plane hits the ground, she's severely injured, but she survives. And she survives because of the sacrifice of a diving instructor who took the full force of the impact in her place. Now, here's the question. Would you do that? Uh, would you do that for someone else? I mean, it's a bit of a strange question. Who would you be willing to give up your life for? For those of you who are married, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, maybe your best friend or someone important to you. Maybe in a better, more noble moments we'd be willing to do that. But here's a different question. Would you be willing to do that for someone who'd hurt you? Or would you do that for the person who bullied you at school? The tradesman who ripped you off? The gossip spreading lies? person who tailgated you for the last three kilometres, the person at work claiming credit for what you'd done. Would you be willing to die for any of these people? I don't think I would. I'm sure I'm not alone. And if you go back to your Bible to chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 7, we see this same thing expressed by, by Paul the author. And he says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, you know, someone who's good. I mean, a righteous person, you know, kind of self-righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Uh, that in the unlikely situation where you could save a life through giving up your own, we might possibly consider it if we thought they really, really deserved it. But for someone who's hurt you, oh, no one would do that. Which makes what God does for us so hard to understand. That not only does he love us while we were still sinners, but he goes the extra mile by sending his son Jesus to die for sinners as well. And this again begs the question, why? Has God got it wrong? Why does God do this when, he, when we wouldn't do this for others? The answer the Bible gives is that God must do this if he wants to love sinners like us and still do the right thing. Let me explain. You see, for God to be God, he must take sin seriously. He can't turn a blind eye to it or sweep it under the carpet. He needs to do the right thing. He needs to be just. Because just imagine a world where God didn't care. 
Can you imagine that? But God doesn't care about sin. Doesn't care about wrongdoing. Doesn't care about justice. You just, you know, it's a free for all. Do whatever you want. Imagine a world where there's no right or wrong, where people would get away with whatever they did. Some of you might be thinking, oh, that's awesome. But what would it be like if you were on the receiving end of that? Imagine a world where God doesn't care about lies or greed, injustice, corruption, or someone invading your country. It would be terrible, wouldn't it? Life wouldn't be fair. And that's why in our hearts all of us want and need a God who will punish wrongdoing. We want a God who will do what is right. But then there's a problem. What about us? Because we've all done the wrong thing thing and sinned against God. How can God love us and still do the right thing and this is where Jesus comes in and why he dies on the cross because Jesus is the solution to the problem before us because what Jesus does by dying on that cross and that very first Easter is that what he does is to be like that skydiving instructor that saved that lady's life Because uh, while our sin, he places us on the equivalent of a plane that is headed for the ground, the equivalent of a plane that is headed for God's judgment against our sin, what Jesus does as God himself for us is clip his harness to ours and pull us close and place his body between us and the rapidly approaching ground. In other words, what Jesus does for us when he dies on the cross is take the full impact of God's judgment on himself in our place. And by doing so, by giving up his life for us, he's able to save us. He gives up his life so that we might live. Wiping our slate clean, bringing us forgiveness, restoring our relationship with God, ensuring our future and showing us just how much God loves us and what he's willing to do to keep us safe and free from his judgment. That's what Jesus does for us. And it's easy to gloss over, isn't it? You know, we've heard it a hundred times for those of us who have been around for a while, right? We can gloss over it. Jesus died on the cross, big deal. But think about it, it's really special, isn't it? It's really special. Because when does the Bible say God demonstrates his love for us? God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. And when does the Bible say that God sends Jesus to die for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, uh, God shows us his love and sends Jesus to die for us before we'd done anything to deserve it or had reached a certain standard. He has done all this for us before we're baptised or confirmed. He did all this while we were still sinners. And I don't know what you uh, think about God. Hey, it's the first time I've spoken here uh, live to real people. 
Uh, maybe you think God is some sort of mystical spirit, you know, watching us from a distance, disconnected and disinterested. Or maybe you think of God as some sort of cosmic policeman, just, just waiting to jump on us and get us into trouble. Well, that's not what we see here, is it? Here in the Bible. Rather, what we see here is God like an ideal father, an ideal father who'll do anything for his children, who is committed to loving them no matter what the cost, no matter what they've done or how much they've hurt him. That's what God is like. That's the type of God we have in the Bible. And that's why even though at first appearances it seems that God's got it wrong, the Bible makes it clear that if God's got it wrong, he's got it wrong for us because of how much he loves us. And that's good news, isn't it? It's very good news. And what does this mean for me and for you? I don't know, for those of you who drive, I don't know you ever look at those, those billboards churches put up while you're driving along the road. You should probably be watching the road in front of you rather than looking at those billboards. But I was driving along one day, got distracted, and I, and I, and I stopped to take a picture of this. All right? One of those billboards. What does it say? It says, feel ugly? God thinks you're to die for. Feel ugly? God thinks you're to die for. And let me ask you, do you ever feel ugly? Do you ever feel unlovable? Do you ever feel, have those moments where you think, I'm not who I should be? Where you feel guilty or ashamed? Or you wonder, could God really love a person like me? What have we seen in the Bible this evening? We've seen that it doesn't matter how you feel or what you have done. God still loves you and thinks you're to die for. Because when did God love us and send Jesus to die for us? It wasn't at our best. He did this at our worst. And what that means, if you're already a Christian, is that you can be sure that God loves you no matter what. And despite your sense of failure, sin, shame, guilt, you can be sure that every time you turn back to him, he's waiting with open arms. That's what the Bible is saying to you this evening. But let's just say for a moment that you're not yet a Christian. What is God saying to you? Well, I think he's saying this. He's saying that even if you're new to this, even if it seems a bit strange... Even if you haven't got your life sorted out yet or you're not particularly spiritual or religious, what God is saying is, I am still here for you. I'd love to get to know you. And there's less hoops to jump through to know me than you might think. Because, because knowing me isn't about being good enough or religious or anything like that. It's about knowing I love you despite your sin. And seeing that love through what Jesus has done for you. Who gave up his life to restore our relationship. And all you have to do is to be willing to trust him. To willing to trust him to take the full force of the impact. Willing to trust his sacrifice for you 
in your place. That's all you need to start a new relationship with God and to know his love and forgiveness and fatherhood as well. And, well, again, I don't know you, but if you're a point, at a point where you think, well, that sounds good, that sounds like a good deal, this is a good deal, and I want to do something about that, well, I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Uh, I'm going to put up a prayer on the screen. Uh, it's a two-parter, and it's a simple prayer, and it's a way of expressing a desire to reconnect with God through Jesus. And let me read that to you. It says, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I don't deserve your love. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived my own way without you. But thank you for uh, not giving up on me and sending Jesus to die for me so I don't have to face your justice alone. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler and help me to embrace your love every day of my life. Amen. I agree. All right? Simple prayer. Uh, but let me assure you that uh, when you say this, God will hear this, and it's a great way of expressing your desire to turn back to God. And I'm, I'm got, what I'm going to do in a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and invite us all to pray this together. And uh, we'll have to pray it aloud. But let me say, if you want to, if you want to turn back to God, why don't you pray along with this uh, in your heart? So uh, remember, feel ugly, God thinks you to die for. How can God love us? God can love us. Uh, despite our sin because of the death of Jesus on the cross. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I don't deserve your love. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived my own way without you. But thank you for not giving up on me and sending Jesus to die for me so I don't have to face your justice alone. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler and help me to embrace your love every day of my life. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer, God has heard it and the Bible tells us that when God hears prayers like this, he's filled with great joy. And I'm sure the people of this church would also be filled with great joy if they knew that you prayed that prayer. So uh, let me encourage you that before you leave tonight that you tell someone about that. Tell Dave. He'd love to know. So they too can rejoice and be able to help you. All right. Thank you.